welcome to the Health Leaders Women in Leadership podcast. I'm Melanie Blackman, Strategy Editor for Health Leaders. My guest today is Seema Verma, health policy expert and consultant, member of the board of directors for both Lumeris and Monogram Health, and former administrator of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Administrator Verma, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Melanie. Since the beginning, Administrator Verma's career has been steeped in healthcare policy work. She obtained a bachelor's degree in life sciences from the University of Maryland College Park, as well as a Master of Public Health with a concentration in health policy and management from the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. In her early career, she served as Vice President of the Health and Hospital Corporation. In her early career, she served as Vice President of the Health and Hospital Corporation of Marion County and worked at the Association of State and Territorial Health Officials in Washington, D.C. In 2001, she founded a health policy consulting firm, SVC Inc., an organization she was a part of until serving as the administrator of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services under President Donald Trump from 2017 to 2021. To start off our conversation, Administrator Verma, can you tell us what originally drove you to work in healthcare policy and what has kept you in this line of work? When I look at it, I think about healthcare that it really does impact every single person in some way, shape, or form. Even if you're healthy, you know, maybe you, you've had a baby or you have a parent that's ill or a friend or a neighbor, something like that. I think healthcare, it really does impact every single person. And I think we've learned that from COVID. It's a $3 trillion industry, more than that. It's very complex, it's convoluted. Um, that you can always count on healthcare never being boring. I am always learning something new. And the other thing about it is that when you actually figure something out, you feel like you are impacting somebody's life, their day-to-day well-being. Um, I think there's an old saying that if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Like that's the most important thing for, for every person. In early April, you joined the board of directors for Lumeris, a value-based care-managed services operator. Why are you passionate about value-based care models, and what are you hoping to accomplish while serving on the board? Well, you know, I think that we have one of the best healthcare systems in the world. If you think about it, people sometimes travel from all over the world to get care in the United States. But unfortunately, there's so many people out there that can't afford our healthcare that's available. And our country is actually struggling to pay for the care that is available. If you think about it, the Medicaid program is a number one or number two budget item for every state. And that means that they're having to make difficult decisions about healthcare versus education versus infrastructure. If you look at the Medicare program, the Medicare trustees have often warned that Medicare is going to have solvency issues as soon as 2026, where it'll come a time where the revenues can't cover the bills. Medicare is adding about 10,000 people every single day in the program. And, you know, there are a lot of efforts to essentially have the government take over our health care or put more people on government-run programs. 
But I really don't think that solves anything. It, it's just essentially throwing money at the problem. It's sort of the belief that if we let the government do it or have the government pay for it, the problem goes away. But it really doesn't. It's just putting an economic burden on taxpayers, and that can create other problems for us as a country in terms of where we stand in the world in terms of defense and infrastructure and all kinds of other things. What I like about value-based care is that it really tries to get at the root of some of the problems that we have in our healthcare system today. We have a system that pays for sick care, right? You only go into the doctor when you are sick and doctors are paid for the amount of volume or the services that they provide. And value-based care says, let's change the financial incentives here. Let's tell providers that we're going to pay them on the basis of cost and quality, that essentially they're at risk. And so they're going to start making the types of investments to keep people healthy, to keep them out of the hospital. And that's what value-based care is all about. And that's what we were trying to do at CMS when I was there, was really trying to promote more of these value-based programs, whether it was in Medicare or in Medicaid or even in the exchanges. So across the board, having a focus on health outcomes, improving health quality, keeping people healthy. And so when I looked at both Lumeris, um, which is not just a Medicare Advantage plan, they're actually working with providers on the front lines to implement value-based care, giving them the technology, the data to understand their patients better, understanding the patient's social determinants of health so that they can provide more coordinated, seamless care. And it's the same thing with Monogram. They are also focused on managing care, but they're focused on chronic kidney disease. Kidney disease in our country is one where the quality is very concerning. You have a lot of people that are on dialysis, that's end-stage renal disease, and um, Medicare pays a lot for these services, but there are alternatives. You know, people don't have to go into a dialysis center two or three times a week. There's home dialysis. And if we do a really good job on the front end, hopefully we're preventing a person from getting to that stage where they do need dialysis. And I think in terms of how you treat the patient, there are opportunities to help them get to be you know, more prioritized on the donor list to actually get a transplant. And that's what Monogram is doing for the first time, really being innovative about kidney disease as a whole and trying to provide better health care, better outcomes, and manage the disease in a, in a better way. So both of those companies, I think, are focused on value-based care and improving health outcomes. They're creative, they're innovative, and they're driving results at the patient level and working directly with providers on the front lines to make these changes. And as previously mentioned, you also joined the board of directors for Monogram Health, a managed services company focusing exclusively on managing chronic kidney disease and end-stage renal disease at home, a focus you had while serving at CMS. What are you hoping to accomplish while serving on the board? Well, I think, you know, especially with Monogram, they're focused on kidney care. And this is something that I think the market really hasn't focused on. And I hope at the end of the day that they're making a real contribution to the lives of these patients, that they're helping them avoid dialysis, that if they are at that point, that they can do home dialysis. But really, at the end of the day, we're hoping to prevent the progression of their disease to improve health outcomes, to extend lives. I mean, a lot of individuals, unfortunately, when they go on dialysis, 
their life expectancy is decreased significantly. So essentially, I think that this company is going to be a real game changer in terms of improving quality of care for people uh, with kidney disease. Outside of addressing the COVID-19 pandemic, what are your thoughts on the Biden administrator's healthcare agenda thus far? Sure. Well, you know, obviously they're very focused on the vaccine and the rollout, um, and that makes sense. I think we're all anxious for life to return back to normal, and so I appreciate the focus on that. And there's also been a lot of emphasis on health equity and addressing healthcare disparities. Those are longstanding issues that, that we face. I think one of the things that I'm concerned about is that we have to still go back to addressing some of the key problems in our healthcare system. Kind of as I started out, you know, we've got to get to addressing the drivers of healthcare costs. So it's not just about expanding coverage. If you're expanding coverage, you're dealing with something more in the short term. But if you're not addressing the underlying issues of why costs are going up in our healthcare system, you're not really solving any problems and this can exacerbate existing problems. So I think there's been some delays on some of the models that had come out from CMS, which were promoting value-based care, one on kidney care. You know, that has real implications for patients. That model, um, which was delayed, was intended to promote home dialysis and create incentives for improving quality and the transplantation rate. And so delaying those types of things has a real impact on the lives of patients. That means that they are not getting the type of quality that, that they deserve. There's also been some delays on direct contracting. I think that's creating a lot of disruption in the industry. That was something that was developed on a bipartisan basis. And generally, I think the industry was very supportive of it. I think those things will be really important to see CMS continue to focus on promoting value-based care. Value-based care has actually been something that I think, um, you know, all previous administrations have been focused on. It's widely recognized as, you know, one of the leading ways to address the cost issue as well as access. And the other thing with value-based care is that because it focuses on quality and outcomes, you can dial those levers. So if the priority right now is on health equity and dealing with health disparities, you know, you can start tying reimbursement to how well providers are addressing those issues. So I think it has some real value. The, the other thing that I think is really important is price transparency. Um, the Trump administration had made some significant regulatory changes to require hospitals to display their prices. You probably may have seen it on the Oscars that Susan Sarandon actually mentioned it as well. Um, I think this is a very significant effort here that is very important to patients. And so I hope that the Biden administration will be very strong on enforcing the guidelines because I think that's very important for patient care. And I think ultimately we're seeing a lot of moves on the expansion of the coverage programs and trying to put more people on public programs. And it's understandable for people, especially in the short time, if they're without coverage. But I think it's very important that we're focusing on costs, whether it's drug pricing, whether it's value-based care, whether it's addressing the healthcare monopolies and the lack of competition in the marketplace. There has to be a parallel strategy. Otherwise, you know, costs continue to go up. The government continues to pay more. And employers are struggling as well to cover their healthcare costs. Employers, you know, are continuing to be very concerned about healthcare costs, and I think they believe that the government has a large role to play in this. So, you know, my hope is that going forward that we're seeing 
um, more of a focus on these areas. We'll be back after this short break. Hi, I'm Alexandra Pecci, Revenue Cycle Editor at Health Leaders. Don't miss the Health Leaders Revenue Cycle Podcast, which drops the second Tuesday of every month. You'll get to hear Revenue Cycle executives sharing their innovative ideas and proven strategies for tackling big issues like price transparency, denials management, surprise billing, artificial intelligence, and so much more. Subscribe and listen to the Health Leaders Revenue Cycle Podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. Recently, there has been a spate of violence and discrimination against those in the Asian American and Pacific Islander community. As a daughter of Indian immigrants and a prominent woman of color in healthcare, what are your thoughts on these recent episodes and how can our culture rise above this? Sure. Well, you know, obviously watching something like that is very difficult. It's it's disgusting and it's, it's hard to watch. And, you know, it's like any other act of violence, whether it's against Asian Americans or African Americans or, you know, based on somebody's religion, I think all of us really recoil at these types of acts. And, you know, I think while we are seeing a little bit more of this, I always try to give some perspective to this, that generally, I think we have a great country and that this is not a racist country. And I use my own example to make that point. You know, my my father came over here in the 60s, um, married my mom there. So I'm a first generation American. And, you know, they promoted those very American principles about hard work. And they used to say, you can achieve anything you want in America, as long as you're willing to to work for it. And this is the land of opportunity. And I think that that's true. I mean, if you look at, we have the first vice president, that's a woman that's um, also of Asian descent. And I look at myself, I mean, the fact that I could become the CMS administrator as a first generation American, I think that's amazing. And it's a testament to America and that the American dream is still alive. So I think that these are just you know, like I said, it's a small minority of people, but that generally still live and we still are the greatest country in the world and the land of opportunity. So switching gears a little bit, what has been your experience as a woman working in healthcare policy and what hurdles have you faced and overcome? That's a, that's a good question as well. You know, I could tell you all kinds of stories, but I don't know that any of them are really unique to just being a woman. I mean, I guess there are those bad hair day stories and wardrobe malfunctions that are uniquely female. But generally, I would say that my experience is not very different from other leaders, including my male counterparts. And the the challenges that I face uh, are not unlike other men. Um, And there's also increasingly more and more women in leadership positions. So I don't think that I'm a a unicorn anymore. And I think we have to be careful um, in suggesting that women are different when it comes to leadership. And if they're different, then that means that they're having different experiences and they could be producing different results. And that suggests that perhaps women are not capable of doing what men can do. And obviously, I don't think that that's true at all. My experience as a leader is different, but certainly it's not because I'm a woman. Every person has a different leadership experience and every individual is capable of success. As a woman, I want to make it very clear. I don't think that I need any special treatment or support, and I don't want anyone to hire me because I'm a woman or a minority. I only want to be considered on the value of my work 
what I bring to the table and what I can get done. What advice do you have for women and others who want to serve in leadership roles in the healthcare sector? You know, when you are the leader of an organization, your job is essentially you're setting the direction for your organization and you are making decisions all the time um, based on that direction. I think it's important for all leaders to have what I call a decision framework. It's sort of an internal checklist, if you will, so that when things, difficult decisions come to you, you can sort of look at your checklist and say, does this meet the criteria? When I was at CMS, my sort of criteria was all about putting patients first. How is this going to impact patients? And how is this going to impact the program? I would be looking at the finances, the operations. I'd be thinking about providers. What's the reaction going to be? But I think it's important to have that framework and understand what those priorities are. I think that really helps when you're working through things. And as part of that process, I think it's important to always listen to all sides of the story. You know, those that are very positive about the direction that you're going in, but also those people that don't agree. Um, you learn a lot from the naysayers and you learn a lot if you listen and if you take the time to really listen. When I think about my best work and some of the things that I've produced, it's when I have been able to really listen to the other side and take their viewpoint into the final product, try to address some of the concerns that they had. You know, before I came to CMS, I was in Indiana and we developed a bipartisan healthcare program for the uninsured. And we spent a lot of time with those that had concerns with it so we could address some concerns. This program was about health savings account. And there was a lot of folks that said, well, health savings account can't work for a low-income population. And so I would say, why? Tell me why. And then I tried to address those concerns in the design. And I did the same thing when I was at CMS, whether it was developing our insulin program, where we actually were able to lower the price of insulin to about $35 a month for seniors in the Part D program. And all along, whether it was working on price transparency, all types of things, really trying to listen to the other side and incorporate their concerns into that final product. I think that's been very critical. And the other part of that is, you know, once you make a decision and once you set that goal or you're charting forward, there's always going to be the naysayers. There's always going to be people that don't agree with what you have decided. And along the way, they're going to throw shots, they're going to shoot arrows, they're going to shoot bullets. And you have to learn to kind of keep going in the face of the adversity. And it's really hard to second guess yourself. But if you've made your decision with that decision framework, and you feel strongly that this is the right thing to do, you can't get deterred by those people that are trying to knock you down. You have to stay focused not only for yourself and what you're working on, but for your entire team, that that is the essence of leadership, you know, to keep everybody moving in the right direction, despite that outside pressure. And at the end of the day, and this is something I always say to my kids, shoot for the moon, aim for the stars, because even if you fall a little short, you'll still be landing amongst the stars. Well, Administrator Verma, it's been an honor speaking with you. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your expertise with us. My pleasure, and thank you for having me. And thank you, listeners, for joining us on the Health Leaders Women in Healthcare Leadership podcast. 
Until next time, keep taking care of your patients and each other.